Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Hey, well, good morning. How are we this morning? Good. It's great to be with you. Great to see y'all this morning, man. That was beautiful. Thank y'all for singing so loud. That was awesome. There's something so powerful about when this many people in one room are singing that loud. I don't know about you, but I don't know how your, your heart is not stirred for worship because, man, I'll tell you what, mine sure was. Well, this morning, great to be with you. We're going to continue our series, Who is God Anyway? Who is God, comma, anyway, question mark? Punctuation matters. I'm learning that. Grammar matters. I wish I would have thought that when I was in school and I was actually learning those things. I wish I would have taken that a little bit more seriously because I'm realizing more and more how much it matters. Who is God anyway? Remember, the goal of this series is to help us understand God a little bit better, okay? Understand God a little bit better and let's also worship him rightly, right? If he is worthy of all things, as we just sang, and he is, let's just go ahead and get that out of the way, he is worthy of all things, then let's make sure that you and I understand him as best we can and we are worshiping him rightly. That's the goal of this series over the next couple of weeks as we dive into the character of God. Now, as we consider the topic that we're gonna discuss this morning, there's something I want you to think about. There's a quote that somebody said at some point in history, I don't know who said it, so I don't know who to give credit to for this, But it goes something like this. There are only two things that are certain in life. Well, I don't even have to say it. You know it. There's everyone has a beginning and everyone has an end. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's a pretty morbid way to start a service. And you would be right. That's not the most optimistic way to start a a sermon or a service, but it doesn't make it any less true. We all have a beginning and we all have an end. In fact, everything in creation has a beginning and an ending. This is a true reality, but that is untrue of God. So while you and I in this room have a beginning and an ending that is untrue for God, for he is self-existent. He is self-existent. To be self-existent means exactly what you might think it means. It means that he has always existed in and of himself. God has no beginning. He has no end. God was not created, nor could he be. He has eternally existed in and of himself. God is who he is, who he's always been, and who he will always be. God just is. Now, I understand that you might need to take a deep breath and pause for that for a minute to let your mind get around that. God is who he is, who he's always been, and who he's always gonna be. God just is. He is self-existent. Now, this is what Moses figures out in Exodus chapter three. In Exodus chapter three, you may recall this from your days in Sunday school of felt boards and all those things. This is that moment when God meets with Moses And he has the burning bush moment and God reveals these things to Moses and at the end of this time with him, Moses asks God a really, really interesting question and you'll see that in verse 13. Here's what Moses asks God. He 
He says, okay, God, if, I've, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your forefathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Well, what am I to tell them? It's a great question. When I go to the people and I tell them all these things that you've commanded me to tell them, what am I supposed to say to them about who you are? What is your name? And here's what, here's what God responds to Moses. He says, I am who I am. That's a different answer, right? It's kind of a strange answer. I am who I am. What, is it, what does that even mean? In my head, I'm thinking Moses is walking down the mountain thinking, oh, this is going to go great. <laughs> what in the world have I gotten myself into? But here's the deal. Something really important for you to know is kind of the context behind Moses' question to God. See, up to this point in Israel's history, They've lived much of their life in a pagan culture. So the people that are around them are living in a pagan worldview. Many of them are, um, are, are polytheistic, which means that they worshiped many gods. Much of the cultures around them were syncretistic, which means that they validated and merged all religions into one. Much of the culture was pantheistic, which means that the culture tolerated all gods. And so when Moses is asking the question, what he's actually asking God is, among all of the gods, who are you? Which one are you? Which name do we attribute to you? Out of all of these gods that we've grown up hearing about, which one are you? What is your name? Now, God's answer is far more than what meets the eye. For he answers, I am who I am. I am who I am, but what does that really mean and why does that matter for you and for me? Well, it matters because since the patriarchal days, God had not identified himself to the people of Israel in a personal way. Up until on this point, God had revealed himself uh, as the, the God of the forefathers, right? So the patriarchal days, think people like uh, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those folks he, he introduced himself as Yahweh. But since that time, the people of Israel only knew God as the God of their forefathers. Even Moses says that in the question. He says, well, what name do I give you? All we have is that you're the God of our forefathers. And so what's happening here is that God is intervening into a new generation of the people of Israel, and he's doing it through his personal name, Yahweh. Now, now bear with me because this is incredibly important. So Yahweh means I cause to be. That's the literal definition of Yahweh. So when you hear the word Yahweh, what, he, what, what we're defining that is, is I cause to be. And so when God uses the word, I am who I am, here's what he's saying. I cause to be because I cause to be. So that's what I am who I am means. I cause to be because I cause to be. Now, this is why it matters for them and why it matters for us. What God is doing is he is identifying himself as the creator and the sustainer of both creation and history. He is the source of all things. That's what he's alerting us to by his very name, that he is the source of all things. He's the creator, he's the sustainer, he is the source of everything that you see, smell, touch and experience on this earth. He is the power source behind, behind all of it. Now, what I want you to see, if 
you would, go ahead and flip over to Genesis chapter one. What I want you to see is how the creation narrative demonstrates this for us this morning, that God is the source of everything. You flip over to Genesis, chapter one and verse one begins like this. It says, in the beginning, God. That's important. In the beginning, God. Notice that it doesn't say, in the beginning when God was formed. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that because all things find their origination in him. That means all things begin with God. He is the source of all things. In the beginning, God. And from him flows everything else. That's the reason why in verse one of chapter one, it begins with him and nothing else. There's nobody above him. There's nobody, God has no counselor that he needs help, right? He is it. He is the source of all things. You'll see this as we walk through chapter one. I want you to follow along with me here. In Genesis chapter one, verses one through two, we see that God is the source of all order. He brings order out of chaos. In verses three through five, we see that God is the source of all light. In verses six through eight, we see God is the source of heaven and earth. In verses nine through 10, we see God is the source of land and sea. Verses 11 through 13 remind us that God is the source of all vegetation. Verses 14 through 19, we see that God is the source of the moon, the sun, and the stars. Verses 20 through 25, we see that God is the source of all animals, and then in verse 26 through 31, we see that God is the source of humankind. The truth is that everything begins with God. He is the source of all things. Now, it's helpful to note that there are six implications of that. At least six. There's probably more. But there's at least six implications from Genesis chapter one and verse one of chapter two that I want you to see this morning uh, that are implications of God being the source of all things. Number one is that God is the source of all authority. God is the source of all authority. You know, I don't know about you, but there's been a handful of times in my life where I have found myself at a crossroads and I stand at this crossroads and honestly, I don't know which way to go. I don't know whether to go right. I don't know whether to go left. I've reached my intellectual capacity and wisdom to be able to know which way to go. And so what I've typically done is phoned a friend and I've called up a mentor or a friend who's been there and who's, who's done that. And I say, hey, what do you think I should do? So I've called up a, a mentor and said, hey, I need some help. See, the beautiful thing about the creation narrative and God being self-existent and him being the source of all things is that God never needed a mentor. He never needed help. What you'll see from chapter one is that God simply spoke and it came to be. You'll, in fact, you'll see that. And God said, and it came to be. And God said, and it came to be. God didn't need help when he was creating mankind. He didn't need help when he was creating the human mind or the reproductive system. God didn't need help when he was spinning the universe into orbit or hanging the sun, the stars, or the moon in the skies. He didn't need help filling the chasm of the sea. There was never a point where God said, gee, I wonder what I should do. There was never a crossroads that he came to where he thought, man, I, I don't know what else to do here. God is self-existent and he is the source of everything. Like a master artist, everything that we see, 
Everything that we hear, everything that we feel is an expression of himself. It's pretty cool. And because he's the source of it all, he's also the owner of it all. To be the owner means that, that he's the boss. That means that he gets the last say. You know, this is demonstrated quite nicely in Genesis 1.28. God looks at humankind and he delegates authority to them. In fact, it says that God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And notice this. And have dominion, have authority, have rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves. By granting them dominion, God is granting them authority over creation. Now, I want you to think about this. This is an important question. Can anyone grant somebody something that is not theirs to begin with? Can you gift something to someone that was never yours to begin with? No, you can't. And in the same way, can God grant something to someone that was not his to begin with? No, because the reality is is that he holds all authority, all power, because he is the source of all things. He simply grants them authority to reign and to rule on earth as his representatives on this earth. He grants authority. And so it is when we consider authority and understanding what true authority. True authority is not earned, but rather it is gifted by God to be stewarded for his glory and for the good of people. God is the source of all authority. But not only that, God is the source of all life. He's the source of all life. We see in Genesis chapter one here that God is the source of all biological life. But here, I want you to see that God is also the source of true life. It's what the New New Testament calls abundant life. Jesus talks about that in John 15, this this idea of abundant life. Well, 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 what is that? What is abundant life? Well, I love the way that the Oxford Dictionary describes it. It describes it this way. Three words, vitality, vigor, and energy. How many of you like to have more energy? How many of you would like to have more vitality and vigor? I know I would. I wish I could just bottle it up and just soak it in. I wish I had more energy. I wish I had the energy of my my kids. I would do anything for that. So when we're talking about life, what we're talking about is vitality, vigor, and energy. And from the very beginning, all biological life derives its vitality, vigor, and energy from God. Until this moment, this moment where Adam and Eve take a bite out of the forbidden fruit. And from that moment on, it just seems like the world got a little bit dimmer. Colors weren't as bright. The ocean wasn't quite as blue. It's a little bit more brown, right? Darkness was a little bit darker. The heat was a little bit hotter. Paul even speaks to this in Romans 8. In verse 20, he says, for creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until 
now. So it wasn't you and me that, wasn't just you and me who was disturbed at this point in history, but it was all of creation. All of creation was impacted by the fall. And so creation itself is longing for the vitality and the vigor and the energy that it once shared in creation. Prior to the fall, God is the power source of all life. He was the source of all of that. And then after the fall, it's almost as though there was a short that developed in the power system, the power supply. Maybe it was disconnected altogether. But the beautiful part of the gospel is that God sends Jesus to this earth that for all who put their faith and their trust in him, who begin that relationship with him, might receive that eternal power source, that, that he would come and plug that power source right back into your life so that you might experience vitality, vigor, and energy in a way that this world cannot provide, in a way that caffeine or a pill or uh, something in a bottle, a Red Bull, can never actually sustain. Jesus speaks of it in John chapter 14, verse 7. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, he says, I am the way back to God. I demonstrate the truth of God, and I have the source of life in God. And because this is true, abundant life is only found in him and in him alone. Number three, God is the source of all creativity. God's the source of all creativity. You know, it's a really cool thing. We, we, we went back home for, for Christmas, the Christmas break, and on our way home, we typically get up super early so we can drive where it's still night, and the kids can sleep, and, and we can have some quiet time. It's really a great thing, moms and dads. If you're not doing that, you should do it. And, and, and we, leave, we, we leave West Texas, and we're cruising up the highway, and, and, and we get to this place right around the San Angelo, and, 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 and we're hit with this beautiful sunrise. In fact, there's a picture of it that I'll, I'll show you. I took a picture of that sunrise that morning. I mean, it was absolutely just beautiful. I mean, look at that. It was just gorgeous. I mean, it was as though the sunrise just lit up the sky. I mean, it was incredible. But I want you to know this morning that that is only a replica That is only a replica at best of what it actually was like. See, only God can paint the sky like that. He alone is the master artist. He alone is the one who can paint the sky, make it as beautiful as it actually is. I don't don't know if you knew this or not, but but even, even the most successful and the most renowned artist of our day and time or, or history or anything else has, has done nothing but borrowed from God and his creativity. All creativity points us back to who he is as the grandmaster artist of the universe. All creativity that we experience on earth is ultimately a taste of God's creativity for even the most talented of our artists, the most gifted and talented people who have ever walked the planet, simply borrow from him. So when we look at great art, experience great sunrises and sunsets, when we stand at the expanse of the mountains or the ocean or we stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, when we hear beautiful music, we ought always to say, wow, Thank you, God, because it all points back to him as the source of all 
creativity. But number four, God is the source of all that is good. All that is good on this earth goes back to God as the source of all that is good. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse four, speaking of God, here's what Moses says. God, the rock, his work is perfect for all of his ways are right, all of them. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. See, here Moses makes a declarative statement that God is good without any mixture of error. He is upright and perfect in all that he is and all that he does. He is perfect. Now, because God is good and because he holds authority over all things, he's the source of all authority, he alone has the right to declare what is good and what is bad. In the creation narrative, you see that, right? As we walk through Genesis chapter one, God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. What does he say of it? It's good. The expanse in the heavens, the land and the sea, he calls good. The fish and the ocean, birds in the air, animals on the land, he calls good. Even when it comes to his masterpiece, what does God say? It is good when he creates human, humankind. He creates Adam and he says, wow, this is good, Right? And then after he's finished with all of creation, here's what we have in verse 31. It says, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. God looked at creation, looked at everything that he has made and he declares it very good because he alone is good and all authority comes from him. He alone defines what is good and what is bad. Now, this is why, this is really important for you to hear. So often, we want the right to determine what is good and bad in life. We wanna be able to say what's happening to us or what we're experiencing is good or bad, but here's the reality. We determine goodness based on our circumstances with a limited view. We determine what is good and bad based on our circumstances and a limited view of the world. We're limited. We're limited. God, however, is unlimited. We've talked about that. He's unlimited. He is not limited by our circumstances or our situation or what we feel or what we don't feel. God's not limited by any of that. He is unlimited in everything unlimited in everything. And so our job is not to declare goodness, but rather it is to trust the God who alone is good even in our circumstances. Our role, our job is not to declare what is good and bad. Our job is to trust the God who alone is good even in our hardest or best circumstances. He alone is good. Number five, God is the source of all provision. In Genesis chapter one, verse 29, God demonstrates this well. Here's what it says. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit and you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. You know, in creation, God creates Adam and Eve. 
There was never a point where they had to worry about what they were gonna eat or about what they were gonna wear or about what they were gonna drink. God provided it all for him. He was the source of all provision. Until that moment, as we've talked about over and over again, of Adam and Eve biting into the forbidden fruit. At that point was the very first time that they ever realized that they were naked. And so what'd they do? Well, just like you and me, they attempted to fix their problem. So they took fig leaves, and they sewed them together, and they tried to clothe themselves. But here's the beautiful part of what happens in that story. See, while they're fixated on, you know, using these fig leaves, and I don't know why they decided fig leaves were gonna be the thing that works, what does God do? God sacrifices an animal, and he takes the fur from that animal, and he clothes them. Why does he do that? Because he knows winter's coming, and fig leaves just aren't gonna work. See, God knows exactly what you need right when you need it, and he knows what's coming, and he knows what you're gonna need when that day comes. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, don't be anxious. Don't worry about what you're gonna wear, what you're gonna eat, or what you drink. Your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need, and he is gonna provide and meet you with what you need right when you need it. You're not the source of your provision. God is. And he's going to take care of your needs. He's the source of all provision. Finally, number six. God is the source of rest. God is the source of all rest. Now, there's something really, really neat that happens in the creation narrative. In Genesis chapter two, verse one, it's what the text says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Here's what God does. He demonstrates the importance of work. Work is important, right? Christians should never be lazy. We should never be a lazy people. We should be a hardworking people. People ought to look at you at work and at home and go, wow, man, that... That person is a hardworking person. And you, you know what you say? Well, well, my God is a hardworking person. By the way, did you know work was before the fall? We'll be working for all of eternity. Work is a good thing. You were designed to work. But what this also tells us is that we were also designed to rest. You and I are designed to rest, fundamentally to, designed to rest. And I can just tell you, if it was good enough for God, it's gonna be good enough for you. Now, the problem that we have is we've kind of misunderstood rest, haven't we? You know, sometimes the most godly thing that you can do is to take a nap. That's true. It's true. But here's the deal. So often we think of rest as sitting on a couch and vegging and, and watching Netflix or watching movies or playing video games, and, 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 and there's nothing wrong with those things. However, however, that. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about rest. When I'm talking about rest, what I'm saying is, is that we need to have periods in our life, periods in our daily schedule where you and I take a deep breath and we rest in God. We rest in his sovereignty. We rest in his provision. We allow our anxious minds and our anxious hearts to just take a deep breath and just rest in him. As a matter of fact, here's what I want to do. In just a few minutes, I want us all just to take a deep breath. 
Hold it and then release it. Ready? One, two, three, here we go. I mean, isn't that good? Isn't it good to just take a deep breath and just be reminded that you're not in control? Be reminded that you're not, you're, you're not the authority over your life? That you're, you're not the provider that you think you are? That, that sure, there's a need for work and you're designed to work, but you're also designed to rest? Isn't that a great thing? Isn't it good to be reminded of that, that you can just take a deep breath, be reminded of these things, and then release them to God? Just entrust them to him? Listen, every one of us needs to build periods of our day where we are simply working hard so that we can rest hard and we can rest in him and his sovereignty and his peace and his grace. Listen, I'll land the plane with this because God is self-existent and we are not. We ought to be compelled to lean into him as the source of all that we need. He is the source of all that we need. He's the source of all that you need. He's the source of all that I need as a parent, as an employee, as a husband. He's the source of all that you need as a wife, as a grandma, grandpa. He's the source of all that you need, all that you could ever want. He is enough for you. He is self-existent. He is the source of all of his authority and so therefore he gets the last say. He's the source of all life, so we lean into him for our vitality, vigor, and energy. He's the source of all creativity, so we're reminded to worship him in all the creative things that we experience on a daily basis. God is the source of all goodness, therefore he determines what is ultimately good. We can trust him. We can know that all that he allows in our life, he is ultimately good and it is for our ultimate good. And he's the source of all provision. We can trust that he's gonna provide for us no matter what. There's no need to worry. There's no need to be upset. And God is the source of all rest so we can look to him for our rest and that will be enough. That will be enough. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would be enough for us. God, that we would be reminded of how big you truly are, how amazing you are, how good you are. God, that we don't have to control everything in our life, but rather we can entrust you with it. God, we don't have to live in fear because we know that you get the last say, that you are good and that you are our source of provision. God, that we don't have to hold it all together because when life is a mess and everything's in pieces, Father, you're holding it together. Father, I pray that you would help us to trust that this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to trust that Yahweh, the one who is, who will always be, God, will be enough for us. That Alpha and Omega, Father, would you be enough for us this morning? God, we submit our lives to you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.